イエジプトを起源としインドと中国を徐々に移住したと推定されていますそれは最初に6世紀に学区記で伝えられましたが王朝の時には断念されました古代エジプトを起源としインドと中国を徐々に移住したと推定されていますそれは最初に6世紀に学区記で伝えられましたが王朝の時には断念されました And I'm on the call to artist and musician Alexandra Spence, whose practice draws from phenomenology, psychography, and acoustic ecology to examine the ways in which our individual notions of place and identity are shaped and mediated through sound. And in the background, we are hearing a track from her album, Waking She Heard a Fluttering, and this track is calling Sleep in Nothingness. Alexandra, do we have you on the line? Yes, hi there. Hi, good morning. How are you going、How's、this going? morning? <laughs> good. How are you going? I'm good. <laughs> Where are you based during these lockdowns and how are you coping with it all?、Um, I'm in Ashfield and actually we moved house at the start of the lockdown、mm. um, to a bigger place with a, a shared backyard、um, and now I have a home studio as well. So, That's been a real saving grace in this time.、Um, and before、yeah. this home studio, where was your studio base? Did you have an external one? I didn't really have one. I just kind of you, I shared a,、um, I shared kind of an office base in my home with my partner.、Mm. Um, but yeah, he is doing his PhD, and so making sound in a shared space is quite difficult.、Um, so yeah.、Mm. It's, It's much healthier now. And tell me about this track that we just heard, Sleep in Nothingness. Tell me about this album. And、uh, I'm recognizing some field recordings in that. Is that correct? Yeah.、Um, so, Sleep in Nothingness was commissioned by a French label, Suku Boshi. And、um, they were organizing an event with the、um, Guy Met Museum in Paris. Um, probably mispronounced that. <laughs>、um, but they,、uh, it's an East Asian、um, history museum. And so they, with the label, commissioned some artists to、um, create pieces from the sound archives that they had as part of the museum. So I chose this one album, which was a Shakuhachi album、um, from a Zen monastery in、mm-hmm. Japan. Um, and this particular track is formed of, of samples from that 
LP as well as um, some of my own recordings from when I was in Japan in Koyasan, the monastic region, um, mm. and um, and also some um, text to audio uh, trans Japanese translation of the liner notes um, from the LP as well. Mm. And before that, uh, during the show, I was playing another track of yours called Bell Fern, and this one is from your most recent album, Unnecessary Softness. And uh, in this one, you seem to favor object interventions with interest in unusual sound sources. So I'm curious, what kind of materials do you use to make these sounds? Uh, what are the sources of these sounds? Are there everyday objects or something like that? Yeah, Belfern um, was written kind of as a performance initially, and then I last year recorded it um, as a yeah as a recorded piece of music. And so it was written when I was in Hong Kong, um, and responding to a lot of the materials. I was really obsessed with materials when I was in Hong Kong. I mean, kind of just coinciding with my own interest at the time, um, but also because Hong Kong is such a vibrant place. And I was drawn to all the colorful materials that were everywhere. Um, so, like, I guess some of the materials I used were plastic bags um, and some tiles that I found on a beach, a piece of glass from the same beach, um, some bells that I bought at the market, um, a paper bag that I bought some bread in one time, uh, lots of the fruit comes in um, kind of styrofoam, uh, colored netting mm. so there was some of that as well as the the mesh bags that you get garlic in sometimes mm. um yeah <laughs> and where does this fascination with materials and sonifying them come from is that something that you had from the start or has it developed in the recent years yeah it's hard to trace it exactly i think when i first started out my practice was more based around place. Um, at the time I was living in Canada and I was particularly interested in my own sense of identity um, as it was tied to particular places. Um, and then through place and through my practice in sound, I became interested in the way that sound can animate mm. um, spaces, I guess. And so then that moved into an interest in, in objects. So part of my... MFA in Canada, I, um, I had some contact mics on a window and the microphones were attached to um, speakers that vibrated a bench inside the gallery. So looking at the, the sound that traveled through the window and how that, that then caused um, a physical vibration that you felt through your body. Um, and... Yeah, I guess from that, I kind of became more interested in the resonance um, and vibration of materials. And then how can I translate a material into a sound as well? Um, these different ways. I think I have quite a um, physical way of understanding the world, mm -hmm. a very like intuitive way of understanding things. So I like I like touching things <laughs> and learning about things through touch. Mm. Um, yeah. And you were in Canada, in Vancouver, to study sound installation, as far as I'm aware. And then you also went to UK um, probably a couple of years ago to be mentored by David Toop. Did that happen or did COVID cancel that? 
Sorry, what was that? Did you end up going to UK to be mentored by David Toop or was that yes. you did? And tell me, uh, yeah. he's obviously an author of Ocean of Sound, Ambient Sound and Radical Listening in the Age of Communication. So I'm curious, curious what was that experience like to be mentored by him and did spending time with him inspired new directions in your practice in any way? Yeah, so the track that you just played, Sleep in Nothingness, um, that is from an album that was written around the time that I was um, being mentored by David. Um, and he, yeah, was incredibly influential. It was, um, I, I, yeah, it's hard to kind of say or trace these direct kind of linear influences, um, but we kind of just met up every week for a six-week period and, and talked. Um, and he's a really, um, well, for one, an incredibly knowledgeable person, um, but he's just got really interesting ways of understanding the world. Um, so it was, yeah, it was quite eye-opening for me um, to just get to chat with him about all these different ideas. Um, one thing that I guess I can think about now or that I've been thinking about more so is we talked about composing and a lot of people often talk about um, kind of electroacoustic music or the sort of music that I make where you bring in samples from different places. Um, people often call that collage mm -hmm. um, or like refer to it as, yeah, like a kind of collage, sonic collage. Um, David didn't like that term and I can't remember specifically why, but he preferred to talk about it as gardening. Um, oh. Maybe it's so more about of, cultivation of sound. Yeah, exactly. Choosing like what goes next to what and the different ways things can influence each other. Because mm. um, collage can be more random than that. And you're using the word choosing instead. So maybe that was his thing as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and you're talking about yeah. meeting and talking and value of that. And I wanted to talk to you about the value of collaborations because part of your practice is collaborative work. And today we will talk about one of your collaborations in specific. And this is the one with MP Top Hopkins, uh, with whom you went on a night uh, walks and recording sessions during, uh, I believe, lo lockdowns. And you just released the track through that. Uh, tell me, how did you to meet in the first place and what drew you to work with him uh, creatively do you complement each other do you have similar aesthetics or are they quite different and then you inspire each other's and take each other to different directions mm -hmm. um it's a good question matthew and i connected a few years ago um and i think it's kind of been a slow and more solidifying collaborative process together um so we we met through uh different just being in the same scene and then we started a series together that ran from 20 2019 to the beginning of 2020 um and that was called humming grotto and it was a sound series that we ran and um yeah it did really well and it was yeah we're hoping to get it running again obviously COVID has been a giant mm. uh, spanner in the works for that. Um, but through that, we then started collaborating together. So initially we started um, not making music together, but curating together, I guess. Um, and then from that, we started performing together as well. Um, and we released an album at the start of the year together, which was based on some recordings that we made 
last year in the, when the restrictions started to ease. Um, and then again this year in lockdown, we've been um, going on night walks together. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's hard to know. I think our practices have, have always been quite similar, um, although that we've definitely got quite different practices as well. But um, yeah, I think maybe there are more similarities than differences. Mm. And this project uh, that you describe as deep night walking, recording adventures, was this uh, something you planned to do before the lockdown started or was it something to fill in your time as the, lockdown, the lockdowns were on and all that you could do is go on a walk for with one person at a time? <laughs> yeah, it was something that happened because of the lockdowns. Um, I think it might have been Matthew's idea initially to go on a night walk together. Mm. Um, yeah, it's hard to, to trace the ideas back because I think, I mean, I guess that's the nature of a collaborative relationship. One idea sparks another person's idea and then it kind of becomes a different thing. Um, mm. So we, yeah, we started doing it because of the lockdown. I um, I was out of Sydney and um, on, on tour with a theatre production and I, r- I arrived home on the day that lockdown started. <laughs> so... Okay. Um, so I was really looking forward to meeting up with Matthew and making music together and then we couldn't really do that in a normal way. Um, so then we were like, well, if we walk together, <laughs> um, we can record at the same time and that's kind of legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And we've been doing it very late at night because it has this kind of, I don't know, particular aura to it. It's really quiet for one. So. The, the sound world is really, really mysterious, um, but also I guess it, it allows us to do kind of quirkier things without getting too many looks. <laughs> I'm just playing it uh, underneath us. Uh, it's uh, Ye- Yeo Park, is that how I pronounce it? Yeo Park Undercurrents, yeah. and that's in Ashfield, yeah. I believe. And what kind of uh, things were you looking for, or better say listening for? Uh, what kind of things were you recording? What can we hear actually in this track? Um, yeah, so we've been just using analog devices um, or objects. So some of the, I think some of the instruments we had for that one were some cassette players, um, some um, objects we found nearby, so like dried leaves or sticks, um, some tuning forks. Uh, I had a little Casio keyboard, um, some metal pieces that came from IKEA furniture <laughs> from my recent move. Um, some bottles that we blew on, um, a radio, a, a bell, uh, kind of a, a big assortment of things. And um, we went to that particular park because it's got this interesting rotunda mm-hmm. in it. Um, but we were actually thinking of maybe seeing if we can do gigs at the rotunda when we're allowed to do gigs again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were wanting to explore it anyway. Um, and it's got this moat this kind of like dried out moat that runs around the rotunda. So we, the idea was that we set up all these objects around the circular moat and um, just we're wearing these particular microphones called binaural microphones. Mm-hmm. So they fit in your ears like headphones. Um, and so we, we each had a pair of those. So when we walk around, you're hearing as we hear in the space. Mm-hmm. And then these sounds that you play mix with the ambience, I suppose, of the environment. So the field recordings come in as well. Is that how it works? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is something that you're specifically interested in, in this phenomenology of place and the experience of listening within the space. Yeah, yeah. Field recording is a pretty large part of my practice, I would say. And uh, I believe that you wrote uh, something along those lines of experience of listening in the real space with community, with the resonant sounds of the environment in the piece that you just wrote for ADSR Zin. And uh, I would love you to read that piece, but maybe before we go into that, could you uh, tell me a bit about what sparked the initial thought or premise of this piece? Um, yeah, I I'd actually had a Skype call with, with David Toop um, at the very start of the lockdown. And at the very beginning of the lockdown, I was um, really, really relieved to have a lockdown because things had been really busy and I was very appreciative of the break. Um, and David asked me at the time, like, what, what did I first realize? Because um, obviously the UK had been in lockdown for a lot longer than we had initially and so we were talking about like what I noticed when I started going out to gigs again after the first lockdown um, and to be honest I couldn't really remember because I feel like I'd come desensitized and, and life felt so normal again um, but then after that conversation with David I started thinking more about what I was missing now that we were in lockdown again and a really big thing is um, is physicality and being in spaces with people and communal listening in those spaces um, and hearing sound not just coming through a computer to my ears but bouncing off people and objects in a space and then getting to my ears. Um, so, yeah, I, I've just I was thinking a lot about these sorts of things and um, and then earlier boss heard from ADSR asked me to write a piece and it felt <laughs> it felt like the right thing. Mm. And the uh, text is also often a part of your compositions. Uh, is that uh, also something that you include in every piece, that, every sound piece that you make or randomly? And why are you interested in the musicality, I guess, of language itself? Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure text ended up, or like, yeah, spoken text ended up getting into my work through a, a collaboration with another friend in Canada. Um, and together we developed a practice where we um, would recite certain things um, within our pieces. And then it just became, I think, the connection to the voice I was also interested in because my voice was shifting um, in terms of like I kind of grew an accent in Canada and then when I moved back to Australia my voice shifted back to more of an Australian accent and I was interested in in this thing that's mine but not really mm. controllable um, and I like the sound of the voice as just another sound so initially when I started using text I didn't really mind if people heard or could discern what I was saying or not um, and then I think over a bit of time, I've become more interested in, in writing as well and maybe including that in the pieces. Um, mm. 
You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday's in Poesis. And I'm on call to artist and musician Alexandra Spence, and we are talking about her interest in field recordings, sonic materialism, and the relationship between the listener, the object, and the surrounding environment. And we will now hear a piece that she has written for ADSR Zin. Alexandra, do you mind reading this out for us? No, not at all. Yeah. I'll just take a sip of water. <laughs> take a sip of water, and I'm going to put in the background the track of yours called Rain. So this piece is called Thinking About Listening and Touching from Isolation. Keywords, physicality, echolocation, bone conduction, low frequencies, voice messaging, digital fatigue, uncanny magic. Thinking about the first live gig I went to post-lockdown in 2020, an old hall, wooden floorboards, rattling air vents, an electric guitar. Overly excited and awkward social interaction, I felt euphoric to be back in my community. Anthony Guerra played first, an electric guitar plucked so quietly, barely touching his plectrum to the spring strings, soft resonance and feedback. Twenty minutes in, the first clear tone resonated through the hall. Vibrations felt through my body. Afterwards, I couldn't sleep, overstimulated from the experience. A friend recently told me that he started hearing the hum late at night. The hum is a globally reported phenomena of a persistent low-frequency humming heard with no traceable source. The first public activity I did outside of lockdown last year was to count the bats that fly from Torella Reserve to Centennial Park every night. I stood alongside my friend Chantel and the Walleye Creek Preservation Society in relative quiet, concentrating. One click for every five bats overhead. The babies fly first, then the females, then the males. According to a new study, humans can learn echolocation in ten weeks. Sound bouncing off our surroundings. We can learn about distance, density, size, shape, guided by sound. In some fishing cultures, a wooden oar is placed in the water and touched to the skull. You hear the activity beneath the surface, a kind of hearing through touch, vibration bypassing the air and the eardrum, a ripple sent through bone to our cochlea. Apparently, this is our main method of hearing sound underwater. This is how we hear from within the womb too. Sounds traversing through the body of our mother. Vibrations traveling down the vertebrae to the pelvis, through the water to our bones, through our skull, to the inner ear. Bone conduction. This is also how baleen whales hear, allowing them to hear the long wavelengths, low frequency sounds they use to communicate with one another. I have taken up long walks again, thinking about the sound of my footsteps in changing acoustic spaces, a train tunnel, a grocery store, by the canal, sounds moving and changing with me, bouncing off walls, reflecting off water, passing through bodies, absorbed by shelves of bread. Monday, May 25th, 2020. On this day, I baked a banana chocolate cake, voice chatted with R, Avoided sending B an email, went on a long walk. On the walk, I heard the wind moving through and against things, 
twistling the leaves of red ash trees, tossing rigging against masts, lapping waves against canal walls, whistling through hair and thudding against my eardrums. The wind brought with it smells too, bolts from the harbour, ash from the construction site, dirt from the wet earth, and feelings, cool and fresh on my exposed skin, strong and thick against my body that braced it. I like to imagine sound as a transient thread, unraveling and connecting our isolated homes, our objects, our bodies, degrading, changing form, leaving traces. Leaving a voice message for my friend, the sound of the voice within the body, bone conduction, sounds different when mixed with the sound of the voice outside the body, air conduction. My voice traveling through the air, pivoting off objects back through my ears, overpowers the low frequencies that vibrate through my bones, vocal cords to cochlea. Receiving a voice message, the sound of my friend's voice is so much more intimate, so much more physical now that I'm not listening with my eyes, not focusing on their image, their mouth moving shape, or on my tiny image placed next to theirs. The image of my friend only makes me more aware of our separation, the simulacrum. If only we could echolocate long distance. I'd rather learn about the distance than ignore it. I could recreate their size, their shape, their form, a kind of sonic hug. But how can your work exist online? Asks the funding body, curator, event manager. I'm feeling fatigued by digital spaces, hearing sounds that travel minimal distance from the microphone or the mouthpiece or within the computer itself to the headphone or the earpiece or the speaker with minimal mediation to my ear. The album I've been listening to the most right now is a recording of Lucy Railton playing cello in an abbey in 2010. A baby cries in the background, people shift in creaky wooden pews, the everyday coinciding with the musical, the uncanny magic of communal listening, reminding me what it is to be in a body, in a physical space, with other bodies, listening to the sounds traveling through and around us. I think hearing is just another form of touch. You're right that you have taken up long walks again. Is this something that you do as a daily ritual? Is this um, part of your practice, taking these walks? And is this when the ideas come to you? 
Long walks aren't necessarily part of a, a regular practice, um, but I definitely, um, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> what it is. Obviously, the need to be outside at the moment. Um, I really like going on walks. It's a really good space to, to think about new things and to process things and to be away from the computer um, and to to be reminded of physicality again. Um, and I think, yeah, it's particularly nice to be reminded of the fre- presence of, of other people. Mm. <laughs> um, just being in spaces with strangers, which is something I really miss at the moment as well. Mm. And when you write about the phenomena of listening in physical environments where the created sound is mixed with the acoustic of the space and where the overall phenomenological encounter with the space mixes with the experience of listening and hearing, do you think that these kind of things could be felt when experiencing music digitally? And I'm thinking how in those moments the ambience of our own space, the space where we are are listening from, can mix with the overall listening and hearing. And can there be a sense of hearing as such, as you call it, through digital platforms? Or is it completely impossible in your view? Um, I'm sorry, it was a little hard to to hear you just now, but were you asking about um, whether I think Uh, digital mediation can also affect our surroundings? Well, yeah, whether this phenomenology of encounter with a space that mixes with the sound made in the space can be still experienced when we listen online because we experience phenomenologically the room, our room that we are sitting in, and the ambience of that room can still mix with the sound that is coming from the digital platforms in a way. So I'm wondering if this experience of hearing as touch could still be felt through digital platforms. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just as valid an experience. Um, I think um, it's not necessarily that I think that the hearing of the sound digitally changes the the possibility of it interacting with with your home surroundings. Um, it's just the kind of repetitive nature of always hearing the sound in the same <laughs> in the same space in the same way, but also the way that um, most often the sounds that we hear through our computer are compressed in some way, mm-hmm. um, and and so are missing certain bits of of information. Um, mm. And when you write about bone conduction and air conduction, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, what is one as opposed to the other? Yeah, so um, air conduction is how we normally hear when um, sound waves travel through the air um, to our outer ear and then to our inner ear, um, kind of vibrating the tiny hair cells that we have inside our inner ear and that's how we we hear sound within our cochlea that then travels to our brains um, but when we hear sound through bone conduction it's not traveling through the air it's traveling directly through a material and um, like for instance the ore and then you're touching the ore to your skull so the sound is um, the sound waves are traveling through the wood and then directly through your skull to your cochlea. So they bypass the air altogether. Um, so it's kind of like 
when you hear yeah, sound underwater, it's got a very different sound filter to it, I guess, essentially, to how we hear normally through the ear, um, through the air. And where are you taking your practice from now? I know that uh, you were working on a piece that was going to be part of this year's Vivid, which was unfortunately cancelled. Is there Are there other projects uh, that you are developing at the moment? And is this project that was going to be a part of Vivid, is it going to have another life somewhere else or wait for a year? Yeah, um, hopefully the work that Elia Bosshard and I were working on will we'll be able to have a presentation at some time in the future. I'm not sure when that will be at this stage, um, but I have been working on more reported projects. So I'm currently working on an EP um, that will hopefully be released with Lawrence English's label Room 40 in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also working on a, a larger project, an album, um, that will be coming out probably in the first half of next year. And what do you look for the most once the lockdowns are lifted? (laughs) Um, I mean, it's a combination of being friends, going to gigs and playing at gigs. (laughs) Being in that community, as you were saying, within the community. And I've been actually uh, throughout the show talking about the community. I did play David too, but I also played Anea Lockwood. And she was going to be a part of it as well. Um, and you were, mm-hmm. as far as I know, um, looking forward to spending time with her. Is Who are your influences in the music? Is she one of them? Um, Anea Lockwood, uh, like, yes, definitely in the sense of she's such a big historical figure. Um, and I've I've really enjoyed learning about her kind of on my own terms because often women have been uh, overlooked and neglected by my um, a lot of my university education and high school education. Um, but she's, yeah, an amazing person and she actually wasn't going to be at the festival in person because um, she's quite a bit older and I think she lives in America. But they were going to perform one of her pieces in the space and this particular mm-hmm. piece of hers um, for Ruth is a dedication to her partner Ruth Anderson who was also a composer and passed away I think last year um, and I heard that piece because it was online for an, a different festival that was um, in the UK earlier in the year and it was an incredible piece and it really really affected me it included a lot of their telephone conversations from the beginning of their relationship when they lived apart from each other um mixed in with some sounds um she does a lot of recording of of rivers with hydrophones so mixed in with a lot of these nature sounds um and it it was a piece uh yeah uh, a piece that really really moved me hearing it this year um yeah other influences um that's hard (laughs) i always forget my influences when i get asked (laughs) um i really like the music of eliana radig uh so another kind of i guess historical figure um but i also enjoy a lot of contemporary musicians like lucy railton who i mentioned in the writing and a finnish composer maya arti um, who does a similar thing of mixing field recordings with electronic sounds. Mm. 
Alexander, thank you very much for joining us this uh, morning or early afternoon on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. This is ESA Radio 89.7 FM, and I was just on the call to Alexandra Spence, Sydney-based artist and musician, and we are hearing in the background her track called Listening for a Wild Glass. This is Arts Monday, Simpoesis on ESA Radio. Seven FM.